Hi there, I'm your host Kate. I grew up in Seattle, Washington around friends that were entrepreneurs or had parents that were. Throughout my different ventures, I came to a realization that I enjoy talking to people about their careers and listening to their inspiring stories. One day, I thought to myself, why not record these conversations and make it into a podcast? So here we are, and now these stories are available to you with the hope that you'll also find them inspiring. episode, I get to connect with Aaron Hurst, an entrepreneur and author of The Purpose Economy. He founded Imperative, a peer coaching platform, and Taproot Foundation. Listen in as Aaron shares about how he helps individuals find purpose and fulfillment at work. I see that you have a vast amount of experience as an entrepreneur. Um, you are an entrepreneur, speaker, and author. Um, so in terms of entrepreneurship, you founded both Taproot Foundation and Imperative. Can uh-huh. you tell me a little bit more about those organizations? Yeah, no, of course. Um, uh, so I've been working for about 20, a little over 20 years in the field of purpose at work. And both organizations are in that field. Uh, Taproot Foundation, I started back in 2001, right after 9-11, um, and was really a nonprofit focused on having business professionals donate their skills, so their marketing, their tech, their HR, their finance, uh, skills to help nonprofits who didn't have access to those resources, and scaled that up across the country into seven cities, and then worked with the White House to turn it into a $15 billion marketplace for pro bono service. And then ultimately the BMW took it globally to uh, 30 countries around the world. Um, and through that experience really saw that what people wanted from work was changing and that there was a need to rethink the workplace. And also that more broadly, like consumer behavior was changing as well. And that's what basically inspired me to write the purpose economy and really sort of frame this this new economic era that we're in now, but also led me to start Imperative, the second company you mentioned, uh, which I started um, with the goal of really figuring out if Taproot had figured out how to make, you know, volunteering deeply fulfilling, how do we make work itself fulfilling? So I've been doing some research with universities and major companies to try to figure out how do we actually make work itself fulfilling? And then launching a software platform um, as a venture-backed startup that enables people to own their fulfillment at work and to make their work meaningful. And aligned with a lot of what um, individuals are looking for work nowadays. Um, do you actually see this more common amongst a certain generation like millennials or are you seeing it across the board with maybe Gen Z and boomers as well? Uh, it's definitely universal. I think there's people who haven't, there's people right now who haven't been in an office before because they basically started work during the pandemic. Um, and it's a very acute, acute need there because there's no basis for social interaction um, and meaning is pretty minimal. Um, but in general, it's definitely, it's universal need. We find women tend to want it more than men. Um, so see more of a gender divide. It's not by a large margin, but uh, that seems to be more of a predictor than uh, age. When you talk about finding purpose at work, does that, how do you define that? Is that one definition for everybody or 
would you say that every individual will define it differently? Um, so what we've done is we've taken like the, I would say the art of purpose and turned it into a science um, by basically determining the psychological drivers of people that then cause them to articulate their purpose as one thing or another. So it's basically through the process of um, doing what we call purpose profiling, we're able to determine the purpose of each person. Um, and with that predictive analytics to know what's gonna be motivating, what's gonna be inspiring to them. And it's not based on what people think purpose is about, which is often a cause or a profession. Like my purpose is to be a doctor or my purpose is to address climate change. Um, the actual much more scientific definition has more to do with day to day. Um, what are the types of impacts you wanna make that make that day meaningful? Um, that's actually what drives a much more uh, value than sort of that big, that big definition that you know our culture tends to lock into around a cause or a profession. So it sounds like you're saying a cause is different than your purpose. Absolutely, a cause is like one as an application. Cause is an application to which you can put your to, to, to focus your purpose. A, a purpose statement. A purpose should be agnostic to job or cause. Otherwise, what it does, it creates a fixed mindset where you think that that's the only thing. Um, and it externalizes responsibility instead of internalizing responsibility for your purpose and your fulfillment. Um, how did you find like this path of work? Uh, did you always start in entrepreneurship? And how did it lead you to um, go down this path of wanting to um, encourage individuals to find fulfillment and purpose in their work? Um, I think it's partially, it's a family business. My grandfather worked for President Kennedy and was the original architect of the Peace Corps. And I've always found that model to be very compelling in terms of having people sort of have these focused, um, more embedded volunteerism experiences. Um, and then also he was the head of the Aspen Institute for 25 years, which really brought people of different professions together to help find commonality and solve problems together. So those, he was always an inspiration just in terms of that, that work. Um, I've been an entrepreneur since I was 16. It's just sort of the way I'm wired. Um, I see problems and I want to solve them. Um, and I tend to tend to uh, enjoy that process of design. Um, so I'm much more of like a, I would say creative entrepreneur versus like a financial entrepreneur. Um, yeah. How do you define creative entrepreneur? So I think it's in contrast to financial entrepreneur. Financial entrepreneurs look for financial opportunities in a market. And they're pretty much agnostic to the impact of it. They're agnostic to like how you get there. It's just purely they're, they're seeing financial opportunity. Um, a creative entrepreneur sees a need um, or sees an idea and is driven by the idea um, and that potential to help people. Like your drive to help people. I've seen you um, in videos and featured on different magazines, um, as well as just being keynote speakers for big companies such uh -huh. as Google, Microsoft, and PwC. How have you seen your work, um, I guess, resonate with people? Or like, what's the difference that you see after um, someone applies the purpose economy into their life? Yeah, I, mean, I think the, um, you know, what we've seen with Imperative is that like if I do a keynote or something, it's I call it hit and run. You get people inspired, but it doesn't necessarily create behavior change, which is why you know I, I don't just do that for a living. Um, with Imperative, what we're doing is we're creating choreographed, guided conversations between pairs of people with shared purpose 
inside a company. And if they do this over a period of time and they're supporting each other, they're setting goals to actually craft their job to be more meaningful and holding each other accountable to that, you start to see people fundamentally change their mindset and their approach to work. And for them to also at the same time build the relationships we need to be successful, both socially and professionally. So then what imperative you pair, like if I was at work, I would be paired with a coworker or a peer and we would just keep each other accountable and encourage each other at work or what would that look like? Yeah, I mean, broadly. So um, if you worked at a company, you would um, every quarter get matched with another peer. So someone at the same level in a different part of the business. And you go onto our platform and it would be, it's video based. And we're actually serving up the questions to ask each other to really help you have the, uh, the, the chance to process what's going on for you at work. Um, think about what you want to do in terms of moving forward in your work. Um, and then make a commitment at the end of saying, here's one thing I commit to doing. Um, and you're both doing that for each other. And when you get back to the, uh, about two weeks ago, you then hold each other accountable for having done that, taking that action. And then when does it end with that peer and moves on to a different peer? So you can complete anywhere from one to five conversations with a peer. And then at the end of the quarter, they move on to the next one. So and it's then, a way of building a network within an organization. So it's putting social interaction in work rather yep. than just having someone just be in front of their screen all day. You're actually getting to communicate with other people at your work that you may not meet. Yep. Um, That's right. for the and you're helping each other. You're coaching each other, supporting each other, helping to say, you know, share your challenges, share your your wins, it's like a, it creates a support system for you, which is really important. And have you seen with the, like with COVID being here for the last almost two years or two years, have you seen a big, like drastic change for organizations going towards? Yeah, and I think there's much more, I think it's a combination of COVID and now just um, the competitive market for talent combined has made this a high, high priority for companies because they need a way for people to build relationships. The research shows relationships have been heavily um, downgraded in sort of the pandemic and with virtual work. At the same time, we know relationships are one of the um, leading indicators of whether or not someone stays in a job. When we don't have any friends or don't feel social connection to our colleagues, it's very easy to be recruited away to another job that pays you know 5% more. Whereas if you have best friends at work, um, 5% may not be enough to make you want to make that jump. Um, less on the sort of just economic status. Um, you know, again, it depends on their situation, et cetera. But in the jobs that are highly sought after, people are looking for flexibility. They want to do work that matters. Um, and they want work where they actually um, have relationships and interactions with people that um, they find fulfilling. They don't want to, to your point, to sit in front of a screen all day. Right. Without interaction. Um, so when you say work that matters, how does that change? Because in the end, their job, if it's as a salesperson, for example, is going to be selling a, uh, and hitting a quota probably per month. Yep. But by interacting with their peers, building relationships and setting goals, how does that change their mindset to say, hey, my work is now more meaningful and have more well, purpose? I think, I think 
think part of meaning is like growing as a person. So being able to work with other peers to help you become more self-aware, to challenge yourself, to um, learn new skills, um, that creates that sense of some, some sense of meaning. Um, I think the second piece is, um, especially like salespeople are constantly um, failing. It's like part of the nature of that job. So to have peer support to normalize that and not get stuck in like a downward spiral um, is really important. And then I think a big part of where this comes into play is around fundamentally how we cognitively process our job. So um, you can think of a job as a sales job and you're selling stuff, or you can sort of focus in on who are these people I get to build a relationship with? Um, how does my product help them? Um, how can I you know, bring back feedback from buyers to the company? You can make take it much more personally. And when you do, it becomes much more meaningful. And that's just a cognitive process of going from transactional to relational and uh, purposeful sales. Have you um, seen it like, a, or can you share an example of like, uh, or, or an organization that you've worked with where you've seen a change in behavior before and after going through the program? Yeah, I mean, some examples, I just wrote an article for NASDAQ with the uh, CHRO of Accolade, uh, Rip Provost, just talking about, you know, I think their challenge was, you know, the pandemic, but on top of that, they're acquiring companies. And the people inside those companies, like, how do you get them to actually feel like they're part of Accolade more broadly? And how do you have the existing Accolade employees embrace those new people as their brothers and sisters in the company? And, you know, what we were able to do there is actually like match people from the existing company with the new companies, but who have the same purpose and take them through these guided conversations. So they started to humanize each other and started to remove that fear that often comes when you've acquired a company. Um, and there's sort of this, this threat that comes from that. Um, also, you know, saw, so there we saw about almost 90% of people said they built a meaningful lasting relationship with the person that they matched across. Um, same thing between they have enterprise employees, think of them as like headquarters, um, and then frontline. And that was another major divide culturally for them as an organization. So um, what they're able to do is match them into this peer coaching system and start to actually build awareness and like human relationships between frontline and enterprise uh, employees. So those are sort of examples of how, how that's played out. And then did you... Or I don't know, you happen to know, but do you know the turnover rate after that dropped at all? Um, we studied it within their actual data system because it's not part of our data model. What we are seeing is that of people who in our system are reported initially being unfulfilled at work, within three months, 62% of them saw a significant increase. And we know that fulfillment's one of the predictors of turnover whether or not you are fulfilled or not. So it's not a direct measure of retention, but it's a pretty good proxy um, for whether or not it's making a difference that's gonna lead to likely uh, retention of folks. Yeah, that's, I would agree too, because when people find more satisfaction at their workplace, um, then I believe retention would be lower as well. Um, yes. That's really interesting to me and, um, but then what also interests me is the how corporations are looking at it. Because as an employee, I would want more satisfaction at work and uh, find more happiness when I do meaningful work. But how yeah. are corporations looking at it? Because um, in my mind, corporations probably just want people to get their work turned in and 
end goal, maybe like the sales or closing every month. But are corporations actually taking a look at this now and reconsidering it because of such high turnover rate from the great resignation? I don't think there's one answer to that. I think there's different industries, different locations. But I think generally speaking, um, what you're seeing is that the labor market's so tight that for the first time in history, um, employees, especially if you think about knowledge workers, have more power than the corporation because they have the ability to just leave and they know they have another job with probably a pay increase that they could start in a week, right? So um, you suddenly see the fundamental, like like a flop in the um, power dynamic, which now has companies and most CEOs now saying retaining people and hiring people is their top priority because they know that without that, sales aren't happening, marketing's not happening, like their shareholder value is not happening. So uh, it's becoming sort of the primary currency now is um, ability to attract and retain people. So with that, um, I think, yes, still focused on sales, still focused on you know, engineering output, uh, but recognizing that um, attracting and retaining those people is ridiculously difficult and they've got to bend over backwards to set up their work to be somewhere people want to be. Um, it can no longer be sort of this model of, well, they should just be lucky they have a job, which was the early attitude towards, towards work. Yeah. So something you're pointing out is workers actually for once have that upper hand in they do. The I mean, I don't wanna, yeah i mean i don't think a nurse on the front line at a hospital does i don't know that a lot of people in sort of um, entry-level jobs feel that way but certainly you know as you're looking at you know college educated folks um, most of them have the upper hand in the labor market right now your whole work is around finding purpose in work even including your book what would you say your purpose is now yeah. So, I mean, the, there's sort of a psychological version of it, which then I sort of translate into um, sort of the poetic version. So for me, uh, you know, I frame my purpose as my purpose is to awaken lions so that they can care for their pride. So what that means to me is um, I really find meaning in helping people be courageous, uh, people finding their voice, um, helping them like fundamentally like transform into their potential. Um, and the why behind that is that they can ultimately, you know, take care of their community, their environment, their family, um, so that collectively, you know, you see society more successful. So that's how I think about like what, you know, drives me in. If I look at every success I've had in my career, it's tied back to that purpose. Awesome. And was there like a singular event that made you want to do this? Like, hey, I want to go out and help people become the best they can. I don't think there's a singular, I mean, I think there's lots of reinforcing events. And if you have to create a story, you can create one. But I think it's partially how I'm wired. Like, it's pretty interesting how it just distributes in society, these percentages of people who have these different purpose profiles. Um, and what I've found is that, like, everything I do, it goes back to just sort of operating that way. So it's much more psychological than choice, um, if you will. It's not that I, like... Um, intentionally go out and say, how do I do this? It's more like I find myself always going back to doing that because that's like what um, motivates me and it's the, the, the way I try to create change in the world. Your work is seen as being very successful in life already. So you're actually one of the fortunate ones, I would say, that was able to find your passion and combine it with work. Not many people are able to do that and a lot of people are still searching for that. Like, finding their passion and putting 
putting it to work as well. So what, what advice would you tell someone out there today that's uh, trying to align both their passion and work? I think it's, I think it's less about passion. Passion is actually not correlated as strongly with success and like happiness. Um, I think it's about finding little things every day and noticing them. I think a lot of people are looking for this huge headline. Um, I think it, the, the truth comes out of like little things every day. So if you just stop and say, like take a journal for a week or a month and just write down like, what are the things that energized me today? What were the things that de-energized me? Um, and then you take a step back after a week or a month, you start to see the patterns and like basically what energizes you. And through that, you can start to see the value you like to create in the world. So it doesn't, again, that's, it doesn't have to be about this big thing. I think it starts with these little daily moments and just being self-aware about, even if it was just five minutes out of the day, the rest of your day sucks, but it was like five minutes that you were like, I enjoyed that five minutes. Notice those moments and just try to connect those dots to figure out like what makes you tick. Um, that's where you're going to start to find the meaning. It's, you know, you're not going to find it outside of yourself. You're only going to find it in internal reflection about when you rub up against the world, like what are the things that move you? Yeah, I would say, uh, I think our culture wants us to think about our careers as movies or as like these great sweeping accomplishments. All the research shows people who are happy and fulfilled are focused on the day-to-day. -day. They're not focused on those things because those things are never good enough. You never get where you need to go with that mindset. Right. And then people are always going to search, be searching for the next thing. And what's the next thing after that, right? Yeah. Whereas like, I think if you can find, if you can be present in your day to day and find joy in that, it'll lead you to doing more and more impactful work and it'll lead you to being fulfilled. Whereas if you're always chasing some abstract concept of a future state, um, even if you get there, you're probably not going to be happy when you get there. What to do in our society, we're very future focused. Yeah. I, I, I hear it all the time. And I even, I even um, struggle with that myself too, because we're so goal oriented, you know, and even with the new year that just passed, like, what's your new year resolution? And oftentimes people fail in their new year res resolution within like the first week, because yep. I think it's not practical enough looking at it in a short term and day to day versus like long term goals. What's yep. also, I think, you know, I don't know if you've ever been in therapy, but when you work with a therapist, like the first, before they help you change, all they really want you to do is notice when something happens. Like notice when the anger, but just being able to see things happen. You have to change, just be aware. Like if you can do that, then you'll start to get to the next step. We try to jump three steps ahead, but awareness is really the first, the first step to get to know yourself and um, recognize when things are happening. You have reached the end of this episode. We apologize for the abrupt ending and we'll be working on transitions for future episodes. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on our website at www.dayoneway.com or follow us on social media.